inventors and their inventions. Welcome to Radio Cade, a podcast from the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention in Gainesville, Florida. The museum is named after James Robert Cade, who invented Gatorade in 1965. My name is Richard Miles. We'll introduce you to inventors and the things that motivate them. We'll learn about their personal stories, how their inventions work, and how their ideas get from the laboratory to the marketplace. Using plants to decontaminate water. How does it work and what good will it do? Welcome to Radio Cade. I'm your host, Richard Miles. Today, my guest is Dr. Norma Alcantar, a professor of chemical, biomedical, and materials engineering at the University of South Florida and a 2021 inductee into the Florida Inventors Hall of Fame. Welcome to the show, Dr. Alcantar, and congratulations. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me, and uh, it is a pleasure to be here talking to you. It's okay if I call you Norma? Should I ask? Yes, it's please. okay, good. Of course, yes. <laughs> uh, first of all, we're recording this a few hours before the induction ceremony. So how does it feel? This is like the Academy Award for Florida <laughs> inventors. So, and I know you have family and friends in the audience. What are you feeling right now? Well, I'm feeling like I'm late for everything. <laughs> <laughs> it feels very exciting. I never expected to be one of the selected inventors for the Florida Inventors Hall of Fame when I submitted the application. My nominator kind of pushed me and said, if you don't apply, you will not get it. And I was a little reluctant, but then I said, okay, let's do it. We should do it. And it was because of her that I was able to submit the application and it was a really nice surprise knowing that I was selected. It's very impressive also when you look at the other inductees, you just see like, wow, these are really, yes, you know, yes, the, the, it's you, wonderful to see so many inventive and creative people in the state of Florida, or at least from the state of Florida. You're not being recognized for just one invention because you in fact hold 22 U.S. patents. So you've been busy inventing a lot of things, but I thought maybe we should start with explaining, I guess, one of your core technologies, your core insights, which if I understood it correctly from reading some of the material about it is you use a biomaterial from cactus plants to remove harmful chemicals from soil and water. So uh, one, tell me if, if I got that right. And then tell me, how does this work? And then afterwards, if you can tell sort of the story of the idea, where, where did it come from? Yes. Yeah, so that's the 12 of my patterns actually relate to the cactus extracts. The cactus plant has a wonderful ecosystem process in which it stores water so that it can survive in arid environments. So that mechanism and those cells that store the water kind of like switch back and forth between releasing and obtaining water. And that mechanism is what we were able to harvest. And when you expose these molecules to contaminants, they actually attract them because they are able to go back and forth within the switch that they have internally. So if you have a contaminant that has a charge, then the half part of the molecule will actually interact with those charges. If you have a molecule that doesn't like water, then it exposes those compounds in the molecules that actually attract lipophilic, or what we call non-lipophilic. They don't like water. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you have water, then they have other systems to interact with water easily. So that behavior allows the molecule to wrap around different contaminants as the same way that it kind of like fish them out of the water. It has that kind of mechanism. 
Does it act like a filter or is it more like a binding agent or something? Does it transform the molecular structure of the contaminant or is it sort of just remove it and separate it? It just remove it. So you can think about is what we call a flocculant that is capable of bringing things together, right? Forming these big flocks. So when you have sediments, for instance, in the water, what it's going to do is act kind of like a net, like a fishing net, and it's going to bring it all together. Once they have critical mass, they are going to go to the bottom of the solution much, much faster than if you don't have the, oh, the cactus the cactus extracts in the water. And then the same with bacteria. So it's, it's a similar process, kind of like fishing bacteria out of the water. When you have heavy metals, then it has a different interaction because metals are very unique. They have charges, they have groups that have an affiliation for other molecules and so it is able to recognize oh now it's a metal and now I'm going to form a complex. By forming that complex that can either change the hydrophobicity of the compound and can flow to the water air interface or because the the metal is heavy then it will move it to the bottom of the solution as well. So it has these mechanisms. It has these very complex sugars and a combination of them. There is more than 50. All of these sugars can work towards separating the contaminants that you see in the water. The same way that they work in the plant to keep the plant alive by bringing and, and giving water, by storing and giving the water away when it's needed. So obviously, this is a result of years of research figuring out exactly yes. how this happens. Yes, but, that was known. But it was, um, it was known, apparently, why right, to older generations in Mexico. So tell us about that. How did you hear about that? It's a very good story. It was years ago when I was in high school. And I came to my grandma's house and she asked me, how's my day? And I had a chemistry lab that we were actually studying what we call surfactants. These are the chemical compounds that we use to remove contaminants from our clothes and from the hands and from water, right? So I was explaining to her that we were characterizing these compounds in the water and how it was separating the, the different things. And so she looked at me and said, I know all about that. And I was surprised to hear that because my grandma was a very modest person and she really didn't talk much about her upgrowing, but it was good to hear that she had a little bit of science, right? Like growing up or she was doing something related to science. So I was surprised about that and I asked her if she could explain in she said, well, when I was a little kid, I was in charge of bringing the water from the river to the house, right? And when it was the rainy season, then you have a lot of debris in the water. And when you bring the water, obviously it's dirty. So that day I would have to cook cactus and the water from the cactus, I will use it to put it in the dirty water and the contaminants will just go down to the bottom out of the pot. And I was very surprised because I don't know if you have ever cooked cactus, <laughs> I have not. but if you do, it's kind of like a greenish. You start with clear water, sure. but then it turns into a greenish, very viscous-like uh -huh. solution. So it wouldn't have so, been an obvious solution. Yeah, I remember telling her that, how is that possible? Because you're adding something dirty to clean the water. And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, it works. It works the same way that you're explaining your chemistry lab today. So 
I was like, oh, that's really cool. And kind of like in the back of my mind, it was always like, how is that working? Mm -hmm. But I went to school, I went to college, grad school. I did a postdoc and then I came to USF. And my first year that I arrived, my lab wasn't ready. So I couldn't really start right away with all the experiments that I wanted to do. And I hired a postdoc. And my postdoc came to my office and said, why should we start? And he was ready to go, right? That's what <laughs> postdocs do. And I was like, well, well, let's just start with something that's simple because we don't really have a lab. We only right. have like a sink. So he went to the library. He came back and said, why don't we look at this lubricants at that time i was doing a lot of surface chemistry mm -hmm. so he came and said you know i read this article about the oil the snakes have and how it can be used as a lubricant and i was like oh i don't really like snakes <laughs> but that triggered my memory and what my grandma told me about natural materials right and how the cactus had worked and i explained to him the whole story i said why don't you just go to the lab make water dirty boil the cactus, put a little bit of it into the water that is dirty and see what happens, right? And because I'd never tried it before. So he went to the lab and it was two days after he came and said, yeah, it works. <laughs> like, this cactus. was here in, in Florida? In where Florida, we, in, Florida. in Tampa. Okay. Did you have to go to a plant store to get a cactus? Yes, did, we yeah. went to a Mexican store uh -huh. to get the pretty pear mm -hmm. pads and uh you know he cut them just the way that my grandma will cook them for a meal and then he just a little bit of the water that was from boiling the cactus and what he said is the solution or pot that has the dirty water shows that the contaminants just go to the bottom of the solution i mean it's very visible wow so that was like, why? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we started looking into it. What is it that the cactus plant has that allows for that to happen? And we did some discoveries. We have some ways to do an extraction where you can get the molecules that we are using. And mm -hmm. then from there, we started utilizing everything in the cactus plant because the skin of the cactus is, can be also, it's a very interesting material. It is exposed to extreme changes of temperature, right? So the, the cactus grows in the desert. In the morning, it's cold. At night, it's cold. But during the day, it's really hot. And if you put any other material in those conditions, it will crack. But the cactus pads, they survive. They're able to resist these right. changes. So we started also looking into that. That's another of our patterns, you know, figuring out what has that behavior. When the oil spill happened, that was in 2010. I also have another of my students that had already been working on separating arsenic from water. I told her, you know, we'll just try with the oil and see what happens. <laughs> so again, she comes back three days later and she say, yeah, it works. <laughs> again, right? Like, what is it that you're seeing? And so she puts oil in salty water. She puts the cactus and then you can see the oil disappear. So why is it happening? So the interesting part of my job is trying to figure out why. And every time we think that we know this is the property that it has, then we try it on something else and boom. We try it with the amyloid beta peptides that mm -hmm. form the Alzheimer's plaques. My research originally was going to be all in Alzheimer's, right? Figuring out 
do. So that's what you would have done if you'd had a lab set up, right? (laughs) that's what I would have done. And I did. I had a student and she Mm -hmm. looked at how the plaques disrupt. Mm -hmm. And that's also another story because I remember her telling me at the same time, you know, we were doing the cactus research and her research with the Alzheimer's. And she said, should we try the cactus in here? I was like, no, it's not going to (laughs) work. Yes, later. Another my students try and it worked. So, oh my goodness, I wasted 10 years of my life, right? <laughs> but it's, you never know. So that's probably one of the messages. Listen to your students. Try to look like all the little fibers out of the big mess. Right. You started this idea, or at least the research, because at that moment you had nothing better to do, right? right so it, right. in a way it exposes how creativity can work. Often creativity works best when you hit a wall, right? Right. Because if you, like you said, had your lab completely right. ready to go, you probably never would have done that. You right. would say, okay, we're, yeah. we're off to the races and we're going to research something that doesn't involve cactus. That's right. <laughs> we would have done probably a totally different thing and, and never would have figured out right. what happened. But you were limited in what you could right. do. I have to ask, was your grandmother still alive? Is she still alive So now? she's not alive yeah. now. She passed away in 2008. But I did get my first grant from the National Science Foundation in 2004. So she saw you so starting this research. So I call her, oh, you know, when I got the grant, yeah. that was my first grant yeah. too. And I call her and I explain to her that they have given me money to study all the properties that the cactus has to separate these contaminants from water. You know, I explained that it was really, really hard to get a grant. And over the phone, she said... But I told you it was going to work. <laughs> like, like, why didn't you believe me? And I said, no, I did believe you, Grandma. I just wanted to know why. And I don't think we know why. We are trying to figure out why, why that is. Why That's what they give me money for. Yeah. But she was like, but it works. Well, number one, the moral of the story is always listen to your grandparents, yes. right? So I'm a grandfather now, so this is what I'll tell my granddaughter one day. She listen to me. But it must have been exciting as you established that it worked. But then figuring out how it worked, right? Because like you said, until you understand precisely how it works, you can't really go out and use it for any significant applications because otherwise people say, well, why am I doing this? That was my example for the oil, right? Because we knew that it worked with the oil and the crude oil has these huge molecules that are really messy and it's capable of dispersing them the same way that another commercial dispersant it can do right Mm -hmm. and when you have a spill you want to disperse the oil and that's one way to get rid of it and bacteria will be able to eat it if it's dispersed because then it's in a small bubble so that they can access to it so when that happened i remember thinking if we can work with the oil probably can do this something to the amyloid beta because the peptides form the plaques and, and once they form the plaques you could not dissolve them right they're really hard they're just looking in a fiber like formation and they form blobs of it and they go into on top of the neurons and then you lose the neuron so i thought we can add something to disrupt that formation if we can do it with the oil right. maybe you could do it with and the so, alzheimer's norma just so i'm clear amyloids were something you already had worked on, are you familiar with yes. that structure before doing work on the cactus? So that was the Alzheimer's research the Alzheimer's that I was that you were do, going to do, okay, uh, right from right. the beginning. So right. I still started my group with the Alzheimer's research because I wanted to be able to figure out how these plaques form. Because once that you know that, then you can dissolve them, you can dissolve right? them, then you can do something about it. 
So my research started by looking at how these plaques will form amyloidera. We know that that's the compound that exists in the brain. And there is something that triggers the mechanism for that to form larger fibers. These fibers then interact with the neurons and then form a block on top of the surface. And so I wanted to figure out the molecular forces that make the plaque formation possible so that we can reverse the mechanism. I see. Years later, like 10 years later, I started trying it and we find out that it works. That also gave us an insight of why it can work with the oil. Right, because how it's interacting with these hydrocarbon molecules that don't like to interact with anything that likes water. Right? I and, see. And the cactus likes water. Right. That's really amazing. So I, I imagine the cactus-based solution is not the only thing that can treat oil spills or even amyloids, but is it better in some way? Is it cheaper to produce or is it environmentally safer? Well, we also study the toxicity. Right, that's very important. We realize that any extract from the cactus plant is environmentally friendly, benign. Mm-hmm. We use very, very large concentrations, and it wasn't until we used 10 times the allowed doses that we saw an effect on toxicity. And if you use a tiny little amount of any other dispersion, it will actually affect some marine organisms. I see. So, the fact that the cactus doesn't really do that much then that opened up the research that we did on the fish and the aquaculture because that oh, the fish farming right? the fish farm wow we were approached by marine and they wanted to have a way to stop using fresh water mm-hmm. for in aquaculture if you think about any any farm fish it smells fishy right mm-hmm. because you are growing a lot of fish sure. in small tanks and they eat and poop at the same time, so you have waste, and the waste produces bacteria, bacteria produces compounds that give that smell to the fish. Uh So when you're producing fish, you actually use a lot of fresh water to try to dilute all these compounds away also from the skin of the fish and the water that they have been into, and it's a large amount every day. So they wanted to have something that it will remove these compounds without using new water, right? So... We did some research and we were able to use some of the cactus extracts to separate these compounds that give the water the fishy smell. And that's when the research for the aquaculture started. This is like a miracle plant, right? It's what they say about coffee and red wine. Is there anything it can't do? (laughs) So is it also true that you're also working on certain types of cancers, brain and ovarian cancer? Yes. So that's a different technology. I see. It's also natural materials. Okay. So it has nothing to do with cactus. It doesn't have to do with cactus. It's a technology that can encapsulate chemotherapy drugs, kind of like balloons, right? Mm-hmm. So you can actually put some of that on the shell and some in the core, depending on their chemistry. And then you can have a cocktail of chemotherapy drugs within that encapsulation. You use a gel to encapsulate those balloons, and then you can put it near the tumor site. And it will attract the shape of the cavity that is left after a brain tumor is been removed, allows for this gel to actually expand and to take every single part of that cavity. So when the drug is released, you can release it right <coughs> through any cancer cell still alive after they remove it. Wow. That technology works. And I have a lot of ideas about doing biomedic systems that use natural materials and how 
can we apply those to serve our needs? And we have a problem, then let's see the solution. One final question, Norman, then I'll let you go. Looking back now on your career, all these years in the lab, it sounds like it was easy, right? You just <laughs> say, hey, what was grandma told me about the cactus and boil it up and it, it solves all these problems. But I'm guessing it wasn't that easy that there are days in the lab where you may have been discouraged and had setbacks or detours and so on. So if you were giving a young researcher advice, and I'm sure you probably have mentored young researchers, they may have a great idea, but they may not see the full fruition of that idea for 10 years or more, something like that. What sort of advice do you give those people? You know, when you come to the lab, you have to come without biases and misconceptions, and you have to really be an open-minded and see how the material or the structure or the design that you're working on where is that it's going to lead you? And how can that be applied for a solution? So I think about it like you have to be determined on what is it that you're trying to solve and then it's what you are producing will they solve it. But if it doesn't, then maybe it can be applied to something else. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not a failure. It's just that it may be something that doesn't work for that specific problem, but you you may have another problem that can be applied to. So be patient. And every day, there's going to be good days and bad days. I know my job is fun. And I can say that 100% because there are much better good days than bad days. Mm -hmm. Good days take you through. And the the bad bad days, days, well, you just had to learn and you just had to go through it. But I have a lot more good days. So to that point, let me just ask one follow-up question. When you got those first results back, uh, you know, in the lab that wasn't supposed to be ready yet, and the cactus appeared to work, did you know right away that you had stumbled upon something big, and you just weren't sure how it would be used? Or did it take you a little while longer before you realized this is actually a very important discovery? Thinking back, I thought... This was a good plan B mm-hmm. for my research. Oh, so it's still a good plan. It was you a plan know, B at that it point. Was, <laughs> at that point, I was yeah. like, well, I'm glad I thought about it. So we started applying it to different systems and looking at the different properties, and looking at the data. At some point, I was like, wow, this is actually funding 50% of my research. And then I have other projects that are the other 50%, but then they are much less right. in, in terms of how much funding I have. And a lot of students wanted to work on that. They see the value. The students that had work on the cactus research, with them thinking that we had to find more things good for the environment. Mm-hmm. And whatever they're doing right now, they're applying that knowledge. You know, so one of my students is working at Tico, and, and he is the director of sustainability, right? And my other student that is uh, a teacher. She's teaching science for sustainability and design for sustainability. So I think they learn that there is a way for us to live in a more sustainable world. I think that's a good message that I learned from my students. Like I say, a lot of researchers would love to have your plan B. (laughs) They're probably asking, do you have any other plan Bs? That's a great story and I think a testament to your patience and your diligence in following up this idea that had so much promise, but obviously needed somebody to sort of develop it and figure out exactly what's going on at at the chemistry. I was very lucky to have my grandmother telling me one day what she did when she was little. And there were many other things that I learned from my mother and my grandmother, very valuable. And so I think also transferring knowledge from our parents and our grandparents to our children, I think that's that's very valuable and mm-hmm. we should not lose that ever. Right. 
the technology that we have now, we should always try to advance it with right. what already. I think that's a great point. I think there's a lot of embedded wisdom in things that previous generations did. Uh, and now we had the tools right. to find out exactly how right. they work. So whereas before it would have been just folklore handed down, oh, you do this. We don't know how, why it works, but it does. Now we have the tools to actually investigate and see, oh, right. this is how it works. So grandma was right. <laughs> we, but now, <laughs> now know. we know why she was right. She so. knew it was going to work. Yeah. So. Yeah. Norma, thank you very much for coming on Radio K. And again, congratulations you. on your being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I uh, hope we can have you back on the show at some point. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and I'll see you at the induction ceremony. Great. Radio Cade is produced by the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention, located in Gainesville, Florida. Richard Miles is the podcast host, and Ellie Tom coordinates inventor interviews. Podcasts are recorded at Hardwood Soundstage and edited and mixed by Bob McPeak. The Radio Cade theme song was produced and performed by Tracy Collins and features violinist Jacob Lawson.